From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Today on the program, we'll be talking winter birds with avid bird watcher Steve Peterson. We know some but not all birds fly south for winter, so what can you expect to see and hear outside your window this time of year? We'll talk with Steve about this and other bird-related questions. And Dr. Major is here, ready to answer your pet questions. To join the conversation, give us a phone call. The number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Today in the program, we'll be talking winter birds with avid bird watcher Steve Peterson. We know that some but not all birds fly south for the winter, so what can you expect to see and hear outside your window this time of year? We'll talk with Steve about this and other bird-related questions, and also Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. So to join the conversation, you can email the show, animals at mpbonline.org, or call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. That, if you ever miss, the Thursday broadcast repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, before we get started, I just was we were chatting about this uh, before we went on the air, but I mm-hmm. found this online the other day. I thought it was interesting. The headline is, All female mutant crawfish that clones themselves are taking over rivers and lakes around the world. So apparently this... Uh, they they reproduce without mating, which again is the there's a technical term Part for of the it. Genesis, okay, yeah. right? Uh, and they have spread from Germany to other countries around the world. Um, apparently, they were originally uh, bred to be uh, um, pets, but uh, it's it's getting out of hand because uh, they can reproduce asexually. So it was. I thought that was kind of interesting and. Somewhat scary, I guess, that maybe this could take over the world or whatever, but it sounds like a good science fiction movie for your work. We're glad they're, they're normal size. <laughs> I was going to say, are they edible? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, that's interesting. I, I, mean, if it's, I think uh, they're all edible depending yeah. on what your tastes are. Yeah. Somebody was doing self-generating etouffee, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. It is a marbled crawfish, it says, and first appeared in 1995. Uh, they've established themselves in populations and freshwater ecosystems around the world in countries as diverse as the Ukraine, Japan, and Madagascar. So, uh, but yes, let me be right. They're not gigantic or anything. So, uh, uh, if if we did the science fiction yeah. movie, though, they would be some way that they would be, you know, super super giant yeah. size. Of course, what we don't want is for them to displace the native um, flora and fauna in those right. places. Yeah. Right. In fact, right. I think England has a problem with American crawfish. Huh. Yeah. Um, in, invading their 
their streams. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, the the one that comes to mind here in the South too is is kudzu. I mean, I'm sure when exactly. that was first introduced, no one mm-hmm. expected it would do what it did. And well, you can make a list: kudzu and fire, fire ants, ants. Of course, yeah. are at the top of the list. <laughs> but uh, the uh, silver carp, Asian carp that are yeah. in mm-hmm. Mississippi River, lots of problems. Um, we always like to talk about uh, things upcoming at the museum. So uh, what do you have for okay. us, Libby? Arbor Day tomorrow at the museum. And um, it's a chance to see the new exhibit, Conservation Quest. But you don't have to just do it tomorrow. You can see, um, of course, you can see that anytime the museum's open. And it's a good new exhibit. But tomorrow for Arbor Day, that's going on from 10 to 1. I think all the forestry, forestry association, forestry commission, U.S. Forest Service, all kinds of people will be there at the museum. There'll be the tree giveaway. Maybe that's NRCS even. I'm not sure. I, I'm probably not recognizing all the partners, but it's it's a, a group effort. Tree free trees, hands-on activities for school groups and for families, uh, guided hikes to oh. specifically to identify the trees in winter on mm-hmm. the trail, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, then some art activities, leaf rubbings, uh, uh, project learning tree activities. So sounds like a lot of fun. Now, whatever wood magic shows. So magic with wood. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> interesting. I'm sure it's more fun than it sounds. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's a lot of fun. It, those programs go on at 10.30 and 11.30. They've been doing a lot of different kind of magic shows at the museum, and they've been real popular. So anyway, that's a big one. And then we got uh, Fanny Cook. Okay. It's going to Natchez. All right. Uh, February the 17th, that's a Saturday, and you can have lunch with her. Oh, wow. Uh, the Rolling River Bistro is going to do lunch with Fanny Cook and a book signing, and it's a great opportunity. You can get in touch with them. Gosh, you can if you're in the area, you know, just go online and buy your ticket early or at least make a reservation. Uh, I think you can find it on Facebook or on Rolling River's website or any number of ways. But. All right. Leaf rubbing was always one of my favorite activities as a kid. I, I don't know why I liked that, but I thought that was kind of fun. Well, to... you might go by Saturday, and I'll <laughs> bet they'll let you do it, Kevin. I'll bet they're going to let you rub some leaves. Uh, we're and be... learn which tree the leaves That's right. On. That's right. You've got to work that yes. education into the yes. fun as well. Uh, we're going to be talking winter birds today with our guest, Steve Peterson. But first, we do have a pet question here via email. Uh, and it says, recently adopted a dog from the pound. She's mixed breed, but definitely has some hound in her. She seems to have a body odor. Have you heard that some dogs just naturally have a strong smell? Uh, how often can and should I bathe her? Well, it does seem like <clears throat> the hounds, uh, bassets, uh, beagles, uh, foxhounds, that sort of dog does have uh, more of an odor. Uh, and to tell you that bathing is going to really help that a whole lot, I would not bathe her over once every two weeks, preferably once every month. Uh, the anal glands, the anal sacs should be checked to be sure that's not the source. And also check the ears. Most of the hounds have fairly large ears, and sometimes there'll be some ear infection. I don't know how old this dog is. Also, teeth can can generate a lot of bad odor. So there's some things that need to be checked. But it sounds like uh, probably this is a typical hound-type odor. 
But also, I think uh, you made a good point because she mentioned that it was an adopt adopted from a pound. So you really do want to check out those things you mentioned because you don't you're not aware of, of the dog's history. Right. Uh, we've got some open phone lines, so we're talking winter birds today and also uh, taking any pet questions. And we always like to hear any of your uh, brushes with wildlife, wildlife questions or uh, experiences you like to share with us. As I said, phone lines open at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. If you can't get to the phone but still want to participate, you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, uh, Steve, last time we had you on the show, we talked about owls. Um, how do owls fare in the wintertime? Uh, well, they pretty much do the same thing they do all year. In fact, right now, they're actually starting to breed. Okay. Uh, that we, uh, we have... I saw a picture not too long ago of an owl photographed on the nest on the coast, I think in Pascagoula. It was a great horned owl, which is the largest of our owls. And I've got one of the same species around the house that's been very, very territorial, hooting a lot. And We've it's a got male. one too. Yeah. yeah, just at dark. Yeah, and, just at yes. dark, just about the time sun sets. Mm-hmm. And uh, it uh, you, usually... You would hear the male and the female, but she's probably sitting on the nest, well, and I've, he is extremely territorial. Uh, now, I'm hearing two, and one seems to be stationary, and the other one is moving around. Is that the male and female? Just I would communicate ass- very soft, low, very, little... It's, yeah, great horned owls, they're so, they have such a low pitch that I tried to... Uh, uh, record it with my iPhone, and I couldn't get the. It wouldn't pick up the low <laughs> pitch. Uh, but uh, the male is the one do it. He's got a lower pitch voice than the female, and she's got a, a higher pitch. And the same is true with the uh, sl- slightly smaller barred owl, which is in the swamps and the bottomland. Uh, but he's probably the one doing the moving around because he's got hooting trees. He likes to get in the top of a pine tree at least in our neighborhood and move around yes he's in a big pine i think at yeah. our house and uh, it's kind of if you get a chance to watch one they bend over and they stick their tail straight up in the air and and hoot and it's just a long sort of a ooh, 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 and very low pitched and it carries very very far so uh other owls like the barred owl they'll probably have uh Eggs in the eggs in the nest, uh, probably around Valentine's, and then so in about the time that the great horned owls chicks will be hatched. So they'll they'll just uh, they're getting ready, and I think we also we have some eagles that are nesting now. So they start, and about the time that other animals are having young, their young are ready to be fed with some of those other animals. Mm. So it works out, you know. So um, the hoot, I guess, part of that is saying, hey, this is my territory. Stay out of there. Exactly. He's saying, I'm a great horned owl. I'm a male great horned owl. This is my territory. If you're another great male great horned owl, go away. If you're my female great horned owl, come on in. <laughs> you know. So that's ba- that's basically what any bird is saying with its song is, is those those basic three things. Okay. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we've got a caller on the line, and we've got some open phone lines ready for your questions and comments. The number to call to join our conversation on Creature Comforts is 
MPB Ring. It's one 672 7464 Talking winter birds today with our guest Steve Peterson. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with bird watcher Steve Peterson, talking about winter birds, uh, and we've got some open phone lines. If you have a bird question, a pet question, or you just like to share something uh, that you've seen in nature when you've been out and about, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Again, if you can't get to the phone, you can still participate via email. Animals at mpbonline dot org. We start off on the phone lines. Susan is on the road listening to the show this morning. Good morning, Susan. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I um, am calling because I uh, we have a, a feeder station stocked with uh, orange suet and sunflower heart year-round. And in the summer, we recruit lots of mockingbird fledges, you know, end up growing up on the stuff. But in the winter, the only time I see a mockingbird on the suet is when there's snow on the ground or it's extremely cold. What are they eating if they're not eating suet? My guess is they're eating berries. What do you mm-hmm. think, Steve? I would think yeah. so. I would think so. They've got something that that they're out there eating, uh, and uh, they could be, and, and they, they don't have young, I guess, either at this time. Right. But, you know, I don't see very many mockingbirds at all. Do they migrate? I didn't think they did. No, no, they don't. Uh I, you know, my yard is kind of interesting in that what I have is the related brown thrashers more than I do the mockingbirds. And uh, I was noticing that uh, not too long ago that uh, that what I have is, is thrashers and not and I, I, rare, I rarely see a mockingbird around my particular place. We don't see them. I think they're, they're, they're a city yeah. bird more than a country yeah, bird. Yeah, but they're, I guess they're looking for berries. Yeah. I know uh, we used to always see my mother's house uh, mockingbirds getting drunk on pyracantha. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They, exactly. They, seriously, they yeah. would. And all <laughs> but, the hollies. This yeah, is, was a hollies, good year for yeah. holly berries. So, and while they don't migrate, you know, they certainly move for food sources. Exactly. So, but I'm surprised they're not coming for your suet. They may not need it. Yeah, maybe you they've know, got they, enough they other have, stuff. If 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 that because they'll know, I'm sure they. If you've got mockingbirds that are normally around, they're going to know that you've got suet. Yeah, during all that snow, we were just covered up with with everything eating, and I thought, okay, they're having yeah. a hard time finding food. But I don't have nearly as much on my feeder this week, even though it's cold. Mm. All right, Susan, thanks for the call. That's a good way to kick us off this morning. Uh, and uh, the idea of a drunk mockingbird, that sounds intriguing to me. That would be interesting to see uh, what se- they would. There's reports of several species uh, like robins. And cardinals. Cardinals mm-hmm. and cedar waxwings. Cedar they can, waxwings. They, yeah. They'll go. We uh, uh, had a pyracantha that would, every 
year, one, it would be one day, and the cedar waxwings would gather up mm-hmm. and just swoop in it, swoop on it like dive bombers, <laughs> and tear it up, and it would be gone within about four, forty-five minutes. Not they look late. a little drunk all the time, yeah. anyway. Yeah. And Word, dressed for a party. Yeah. Yeah, Word gets out that it's there, and they all they all head to the bar, I guess. <laughs> uh, here is a uh, a um, an email that says we have a lot of goldfinch in our yard for the mm-hmm. last three weeks now. Mm-hmm. They empty our feeders daily. Are they migrating? The males have not turned yet. What can we expect? We have other bird species, so they are not alone. They're they're beginning to build up. Uh, they will they will be here until the spring. Mm-hmm. And about the time they get into their beautiful black and yellow braiding plumage, they they will uh, then they'll be ready to go head north. So uh, I once uh, before the museum was in its present location, I was at the park and it sounded like a pet store gone crazy. There were goldfinches all over the place there, and then. They were gone. And now will they stay through March, probably? Uh, probably, yeah. April. If I remember correctly, it was April when this ha- when yeah. when this day. But uh, yeah, they'll they'll flock together, and uh, and well, most winter birds here are gonna you know the ones that we get uh, are gonna be in flocks. Okay. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Off to Biloxi. Lena is on the line. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I have a few squirrels in my neighborhood or around my house. How can I discourage them because of the damage that they do? <laughs> oh, we, you know, we deal with this pretty much every time we do a bird talk. And uh, the the evidence shows that what you really need to do is get a big snake that will eat. The, oh, okay. They discourage squirrels. They it's you know not nice to talk about on the radio maybe but they do eat baby squirrels and that keeps it keeps the, the population snake, down snake, yeah gray rat snake is usually the most popular and i've had so well, many people tell one? me well uh, <laughs> i guess it, it kind of ask around anybody you know that has a pet snake may have babies but um we don't want any uh yeah. pythons or anything <laughs> released uh, no yeah but, uh, but it's very hard to discourage squirrels um be sure that everything is sealed up well in your attic that's the the mm-hmm. kind of the worst place you can have them you want to be sure they don't get into your house and chew on wires or anything okay. in the attic so keep all that sealed up and um there's no feeders around, so we're not encouraging that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have to stop feeding the birds for a while, and that will discourage well, them some. I never have. And hope that a neighbor is feeding them. Now, there are plenty of people that like to watch the squirrels and feed them corn cobs and are perfectly happy with watching squirrels. So you may just have to change your attitude and, and I don't think and anybody your... does that. I really don't. You're, you're pretty tired of them, huh? Well... I've eaten squirrel and they taste pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, squirrel and biscuit and gravy. But, um, Lena, I don't, I don't have an easy fix for you, but make it uncomfortable for them so that you're you don't have a prime place. Anybody right. else got a better suggestion? That's, well, remember uh, Jack Russell in the yard. Oh yeah, <laughs> will help. Yeah. That might be better than the snake. Yeah, huh? we help keep them out of the yard uh, yeah. and keep the Jack Russell busy as well. Yeah. 
Uh, we had a dachshund when I was growing up, and he used to love to, I mean, we would release him in the backyard, and he would go after those squirrels. So uh, that's another one. So that would, uh, as Libby said, though, I think that's kind of our solution to a lot of this is if you make something uncomfortable or not, you know, easy to get to or whatever, they will go find what they need from a place that's easier to exactly. to access or whatever. Uh, the other, I think, tip that we've had before is if you're trying to seal up your attic, uh, maybe do it at night, turn a light on in the attic, and then you can really see uh, any sort of small holes because, as we know, a lot of these critters are able to squeeze through very tiny openings to get into where they need to go. Yeah. Got another phone call on the line. We're in Florence this time with Sarah on the line. Good morning, Sarah. Go ahead. Hello. I just wanted to know if it's too late to clean out my purple martin feeder uh, the house. No, no, it's it, any time. If you haven't seen them, then I doubt if it's too late. Uh, they'll be they'll be coming in pretty quickly. And yeah, I so would go ahead. Go and ahead do and it. clean them out. All right, great, thank you. Thank All right, you, Sarah. Thanks for the call. I um, haven't seen any, have you? No, I haven't seen. Any. Speaking of feeders, I guess with uh, you know some birds coming and going, some birds staying uh, year round. Uh, you could keep your bird feeder up all year. Is there a different thing that you would want to put in it in the winter months as opposed to other times of the year? Uh, I think other than maybe the suet. Uh, and uh, as far as like things like hummingbird feeders, keep them up mm-hmm. all year round because we do get some hummingbirds, western species of hummingbirds that show up during the winter. Uh, but, yeah, just the, the normal stuff that you're feeding although you you may get a whole bunch like with the goldfinches the like the thistle seed which uh or the uh we always have liked the black oil sunflower seed it seems to work real well and that's yeah i think that's pretty well proven to be the, the what's gonna feed the widest range exactly that's sort of our basis for the everything ba- yeah. and then add whatever else you want to add to it um, so what sort of common birds are we seeing this time of year around feeders? Well, the, you, you have the you, the ones that stay around all year round. and then But one of, the, uh, one of my favorite winter birds is the white-throated sparrow, which we usually, you're going to find a lot of winter birds come in flocks because mm-hmm. flocks are advantageous uh, in, in the winter because you don't have to spend as much time going out on your own and looking for something to eat and they with everything flocking around uh they the but the the white-throated sparrow it's got this wonderful little song and uh, which kind of goes old sam peabody 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 <laughs> or some people say, "Oh, sweet Canada, Canada, Canada," but these are—they're uh, pretty—they're identifiable by their white throat mm-hmm. and their little striped head, and they're going to be in flocks, and you're going to hear them make little chirping noises, especially around sunset or so. I've got a flock of them that stay in our azaleas. You can hear that little peeping there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the—that's probably one of the easiest of the northern birds. To uh, to recognize and probably in with them will be uh, one of the kinglets, like the ruby crowned kinglet, which is a small little bird, and the best way to recognize it is it's constantly flitting its wings, <laughs> and it'll uh, especially if there's something that that uh, 
maybe it's gotten excited about, such as something like a cat or maybe even an owl or a snake in a tree or something like that. And very high-pitched sound. Yeah, very high-pitched sound. But that little, little constant flip, flip, flip is, is the best mark I know of to, to see them, tiny little birds. And then the common things, you know, we're looking at chickadees and yeah. uh, Carolina wrens are all... Uh, Perpetually in my yard, I guess yeah, they are. They're, they're all, yeah, yeah, all your tough to tit mouse. Yeah, another thing that we have is more robins. You know, we have robins breed all year round, but we have northern visitors coming. In fact, I remember one time being in Florida and seeing thousands of robins, hmm. and the, the local birders just called them trash birds because there were so many of them. Robin is not a sign of spring yeah. in the south. That's what the, get tired of people saying, oh, well, it must be spring, I see robins. That If you're in New York, that's true, but it's not in the south. This is where their birds come. Exactly. Yeah, we get we get these birds, we see them. If you go up north during the summer, you're going to wonder... They look totally different. We've got a one another bird that's here during the winter is the yellow rumped warbler, and it's some uh, some of us birders just call it a butterbutt because it looks like it has a little small yellow pat of butter on its rump, <laughs> and uh, they are they'll beginning they'll be uh, flocking together next month and they'll start they'll look their plumage will look kind of ragged as they're getting into their breeding plumage. And they'll be slowly heading out as our resident warblers come in from from uh, the tropics. Oh, and this is a good time of year to see um, all kinds of woodpeckers. Exactly. We've got uh, the the uh, yellow-bellied sapsucker. There is such a thing. Uh, but uh, that's one of the northern birds that comes in. And its its call is kind of like stepping on a little squeaky toy or, or <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And it's the one that puts the little rows of of holes in a tree, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, that's probably our number one winter visitor as far as woodpeckers is concerned. I thought it was interesting when the, I, t- I talk a lot about the park and pearl that I walk in most afternoons, and it's interesting to me that now that a lot of the foliage is off the trees, I've really noticed the number of bird nests, which I assume were probably there all year, but now can just be seen. Uh, a little bit clearer, but it's uh, it's it's uh, that park is home to a number of of different birds. I think I've talked about the the ducks and the geese that are there, but I thought that was interesting and just sort of uh, something that you had not noticed uh, for the other mm-hmm. parts of the year. Let's take another quick break. When we get back, we've got some callers on the line and some open phone lines. If you'd like to join the conversation this morning, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back with more of the show after this. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. 
Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with one of our bird experts, Steve Peterson, and we're talking about winter birds. So if you have a question about birds that you're seeing around your area, or if you have a pet question, or you'd just like to share a wildlife experience with us, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. If you can't get to the phone, you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Off to Carrie we go. Mary has called in today. Good morning, Mary. Go ahead, please. <coughs> Good morning. I really enjoyed y'all's show. Thank you. Um, I have a question about snakes and cats. I live out in the country, and there's a great big deep creek down below my house, and we used to have a problem with snakes. Lots of snakes come up in the yard from that creek. And then I got a couple of cats, and the cats eat the rodents that seem to attract the snakes, and we have a lot fewer snakes now. Am I crazy, or or could that really be (laughs) a way to prevent snakes? Well, what what happens, of course, the snakes are coming after a food source, and if the cats are eliminating the rats uh, or mice, certainly that would be a big help, in my opinion. I'd agree. I think... Cats are supposed to be one of the most efficient predators known. And Which is why we need to be careful about having them outside. Yeah, because they will yeah. really go after birds, particularly the baby birds and bird exactly. eggs. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but if, uh, you know, they've got, I, I remember that when, when I had a cat, uh, she was extremely good at, she detailed every little blue-tailed blue skink. <laughs> that was around the, the house, and uh, she would, uh, I mean, there it's, it's, you know, a cat is very good at being a cat, you know, as, as one scientist said. So, yeah, they probably are. They're taking the snake's food away from them, and so the snake will go look somewhere else. All right, uh, Mary, go ahead. I, my, I said I thought that was might be what's happening, <clears throat> and because cats will go after the birds, I only feed the birds in the wintertime under two big bare trees where the cats can't sneak up on the birds, if you will. Okay. All right. yeah. You know, so I do what I can to protect other things, but I don't care if the cats get the rats and the rodents. <laughs> I'm happy the snakes aren't there All right. anymore. Mary, thanks for your call. Um, also, you know, I think I might have mentioned this before, but the cats are so patient. My cat... There was a lady, one single ladybug on the ceiling in my bedroom, and my cat sat there and stared at that thing for like 20 minutes, and he would not move a muscle. So it's amazing when they're hunting like that to see how, how locked in they get on that. And, and like I said, though, I, the, the bug was probably laughing to itself, thinking, you're not going to be able to get up here to get me. So it was, uh, But like I said, he was certainly a study in concentration. Uh, our friend Sue from Beaumont has called in today. Good morning, Sue. Hi. <clears throat> I just wanted, does anyone know how the Christmas bird count came out? Because I don't have access to find out the winter yeah. bird count. Okay. The, the local counts were down in numbers, which I guess is yeah. not surprising because it was right in the midst of all that really bad weather. And I don't think we had as many volunteers counting, and it's just harder to find them when it's so cold. Yeah, it's uh, some, of the, some of the times when the – 
you can't get to where maybe the birds are hunkering down in in the in the lousy weather. Yeah, and there was cold wind. There was the a day lot. That we yeah, it was out. a lot yeah. of wind. There was it was the local count was an interesting count. I think they got some interesting things by being able to get a boat. The local count is is centered around the reservoir, and they were able to get a couple of boats out into the reservoir, and that helps you see some stuff. But uh, there were some things that were missed. Uh, that usually uh, uh, show up on the count, but uh, you know a lot of it, it. You know, we just it's just a lot of it is due to whether the, you can get out, and a lot of it is due to what what the birds are doing mm-hmm. that particular day. All right, Sue. Thanks for your call. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. So, Steve, you mentioned flocks earlier. Now, to me, that's, it's kind of fascinating, and I'm, I, I imagine there's a pecking order in the flocks. I mean, the alpha birds and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting to me that it's a large group of animals kind of working together for a common cause, I guess. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Uh, for instance, if, we talk, if we're talking about the, the sparrows, the winter birds, they just say they they flock together, and probably back in days gone past, the birds that flocked together were the ones that lived. Uh, you don't have much in the way of, of a social uh, purpose for for flocking, other than somebody finds food and everybody sees it, and they they come in and, and take advantage of it. So we're not going to have that much in the way. You're not going to have an alpha white-throated sparrow mm-hmm. uh, the way you would have an alpha wolf or something like that. Uh, in fact, I don't think there's much in the way of birds cooperating to find stuff. There are cases, but it's not something that you would... It's just a case of this is this is advantageous towards in the wintertime. But you do have, you know, you'll have some of the visiting robins will get into flocks and blackbirds and such, and they... They tend to flock together, especially when they're roosting. They're coming in at sunset to their roosting areas, and and that's when you get these huge clouds of blackbirds and starlings and robins coming in, literally millions of them in a small place, which is kind of pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah, and if you really can spend some time looking, it seems to me it's nearly always predominantly... Red-winged blackbirds, yeah. And then red-winged everything blackbirds, else thrown in there, yeah. yeah. Grackles and uh, starlings. Um, so I'm headed to Pensacola for the weekend. You know, I always like to go down there to visit my brother and visit the beach. And I'm always fascinated by the shorebirds. So uh, for our listeners uh, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, what what sort of birds are they seeing uh, in, in this time of year? Oh, they're seeing they're seeing some pretty nifty uh, things on the coast. Uh, one neat thing, though, is that a lot of things that are on the coast sometimes show up here. Uh, just a few days ago, in fact, Thursday, a week ago, uh, my wife and I went up to Main Harbor Marina here in Jackson to look for loons. Mm-hmm. We got 14 loons, but uh, we got also, I thought it was a different species, but it turns out it was a laughing gull which uh, somebody else identified and posted on on. Uh, one of the local birding lists as a laughing gull, and that's coastal bird. 
but this was a young this was one in its uh i guess in its uh younger plumage and uh it was in amongst the rest of the gulls that were up there uh now when i'm talking about gulls i uh, one thing i try never to say is seagulls because mm-hmm. you know gulls are not really seabirds they're coastal birds or interior birds so we have you would but you would see a lot more species that show up on the coast that stay on the coast in fact there's some of the birds in the winter that are only on the coast that during the spring and the summer will move up here like some of the wading birds like for instance snowy egrets and and uh and of course they've got the the uh coastal specialties like the the skimmers the black skimmers and and the uh some of the terns that we don't see we we have a few we have small terns that are up here but they're interior birds they stay in the like the Midwest and upper upper parts of the U.S. during the breeding season, and just come down here for the uh, winter. You might want to mention the white pelicans. Too. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, white <laughs> pelicans, which is um, uh, something that we have on the reservoir and down on the coast, and uh, on the Mississippi River. Yeah, I, and on the Mississippi that's River, where I usually see. We uh, Thursday we were up there, and there was rafts out in the in the lake of uh, pelicans and and uh, double-crested cormorants. So if you see large white birds, a whole raft of them, not an egret that's a, a wading bird, but birds that are actually out in the water, uh, those are probably white pelicans. And take a little time to watch them. They have some interesting they, feeding strategies, and they work together. They do. They, they'll <laughs> they, swim together and dip together, dip, their, uh, dip together and... Uh, uh, and they stay here all winter long, and uh, and then the cormorants are usually in there with them, grabbing fish, and uh, uh, they'll they'll be a lot of times they'll just get up and fly and head from one end of the reservoir to the other, hmm. and you're talking about birds that are like in uh, hundreds. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join in on our conversation. We're talking winter birds with our resident bird expert, Steve Peterson. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions as well. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with bird watcher Steve Peterson, and we've been talking about winter birds. Dr. Major here, if you have a pet question for us, and we always like to hear uh, your experiences, your brushes with wildlife. Give us a call because the phone lines are open. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. David is now on the line from Oxford. Good morning, David. Go ahead. Oh, good morning to you. I was calling about the Quaker parrot that we have down in New Orleans. Uh, my brother has a, a shop down there, and it's 
exactly sure what a Quaker parrot would be, but uh, it would. I'm sure it would be something is, that's uh, established from something that got loose. I think we had we had monk parakeets from Argentina that have been established in a few places, and it's a little bit off off what you were asking about, but I remember watching not too long ago a movie about, uh, it was about the, uh, it was a mystery, and it was set in 1950s Los Angeles. And there was a scene done at an older house, and <coughs> the person knocks on the door, and you can hear a whole bunch of different parrots and parakeets in the background. The only problem was in the 1950s, they weren't established yet. Uh, so well, the scuttlebutt on this is... That ah, this, yeah, I, I just figured out what it was. It is a monk parakeet, also mm-hmm. known as the Quaker parrot. Parakeet. Okay, they're, they're about a foot long, green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, well, the scuttlebutt was that this is right near the 7th Street Wharf on the river and is that some kind of way they got loose uh, Yeah. Or whatever, but I also understand they have them in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, same story as to how they got here. But exactly. Them build a nest. They build them like a stork up on top of tall poles, and they come out on little twigs. They hang upside down. They take their beak and, and saw off a 12, 14 inch twig and take it and fly off with it, then uh, come back and get another one. Uh, so you're watching them in New Orleans. I didn't know. Where, where do you see them primarily? Down on Chapatulas, uh, this is actually on uh, Chippewas, where my brother's shop is. It's right by the 7th Street Wharf, and uh, uh, there are several nests of them on top of the, um, I'll say, telephone poles, light poles, and stuff like that. But uh, And they build a nest, like I said, almost looks like an eagle. It's that big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a com- communal nest yeah, that, yeah, that they build. Yeah, I just heard something that they also have them in uh, in New York. A guy's yeah. a bird watcher or guide that takes you to, to look at them, but I didn't know if they were evident on the coast or. or they don't we have, have not had uh, very much in the way of monk parakeets. In fact, if if somebody Google's Quaker parakeet uh, or, or monk parakeet, it's going to show up as the same thing. Uh, the only one that I've seen in the state showed up in in uh, Mr. Bill Turcott's yard, and you know he wrote the book on Mississippi birds. They knew knew which bird yard to <laughs> yeah. go to. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so uh, I went over there to see it, and uh, it uh, it may have been an escapee because I believe it had some sort of ring on its mm. on its well, leg. If any listeners know of a, a place that. You can see them in Mississippi. Give us a call yeah. or an email. All right. Yeah. Uh, David, thanks for the call. And yeah, they're very attractive birds. I've got a picture of them here, kind of a bright green uh, uh, with some white uh, as well. So thanks, uh, David, for the question. Uh, let's get another call in. Uh, we go to Boonville. John's on the line. Good morning, John. Go ahead. Good, good morning. How are you all this morning? I thank you for taking my call. Sure. And I've been wanting to call you for a long time, and you just happened to be on the subject this morning that I'd, I'd like to have an answer for if you can. Okay. In fact, I grew up in British County, of course, right in the Boonville area. And back uh, in the early 60s when I was a young boy, anyway, I knew in the fall that they would be just long strings of blackbirds 
migrating and coming over. They would just be a long string of them. It would take, it would just be hours and hours that they'd go over. It's so long, you know, that I don't think that I ever had the patience to actually watch one from start to finish. And I just wondered if that happens anymore, if there's just not as many of them or, or, or what the deal is on it. I haven't seen one since probably the early 60s, you know. Would this, I'm just, just going to hang up the bath listen to your answer anyway. Well, if you're talking about blackbird sizes and songbird size, that's probably what it would be, the different uh, things like red wings and grackles and starlings coming over. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a, a big, uh, like maybe seabird type, then it might be the double-crested cormorants, which... Uh, I'd like to describe best as looking like the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. You know how scary those things were when you were a kid, and it give, that gives you a that stays with you, and you know you see them off in the distance, and that's what you think of. But yeah, they a lot of time what they would be doing is they would generally be coming in for uh, coming to or from a roost, and uh, you can just see literally millions of them coming into a roost. They have these big clouds of, of uh, things like red-winged blackbirds and common grackles and starlings. All right, John, thanks for your call. We've got some open phone lines, a couple minutes left in the show. If you'd like to work in a phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, so, Steve, earlier in the show, we were talking a little bit about bird feeders. If someone is uh, maybe trying to attract birds to their yard, new to uh, uh, having a bird feeder, what are maybe some basic things, uh, location, uh, what to put in them? Uh, bird feeder 101, I guess. Well, uh, I I would probably get on the Internet as far and look up reviews on bird feeders. Okay. Uh, but uh, you'd want one that was out away from anything that could jump on it. You know, uh, like we were talking earlier about squirrels. Squirrels are experts at figuring out how to get on or in a bird feeder. And then also cats. You want to keep yeah, them and away cats, from cats. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, both of those. Uh, the Of course, the squirrels are not after the birds. They're after the feed. And, uh, of course, the cats, then are, they're after everything. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, you have cats, you know, what that's like and if you got one that of course if they're inside and watching they mm-hmm. have you know that's cat tv for them <laughs> uh, but uh and uh i would i've always just used black oil sunflower seeds mm-hmm. as, as the main thing to feed them with i think the the goldfinches like the thistle but i think that's also kind of expensive if you want to indulge with in goldfinches uh, and of course, suet. And then, if you're attracting, if you want to during the spring attract the fa- stuff like Orioles, which are nifty birds and put out things like grape jelly, and <laughs> oranges, and such like that. Okay. Uh, and also, I guess too, you need to think about a, a water source. Exactly. Running water seems to really attract birds. Running water, not just stagnant water. Of okay. course, you don't really want stagnant water if you can. If you can help it, because that, uh, unless you've got some birds that love insects, like right. mosquitoes. The, the bird stores will have little water drippers exactly. and, or little vibrators that go in your bird bath yeah. to kind of keep it stirred up. <clears throat> you, if you've got standing water in a bird bath or something, you've got to watch for breeding mosquitoes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's get one final call in this hour, and it goes to Margot in East Mississippi. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the program. It's great. Thank you. Um, how y'all doing? We're doing good. Yeah. Um, real quick, um, I have an owl that nests every year up in my attic, and um, it's cool. And um, she's already had um, some babies. I already hear them scraping around and squabbling when she comes up with food. And I've heard there's a pair. I haven't seen a pair of, you know, a mating pair, but I suppose there are. I don't, you know, it's night, and I don't always sit out and watch for them. But um, she's had, last year, I think she had maybe two litters, maybe three, or broods, or whatever you call them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They sound like the great horned owl, but when I look at them at night when they fly by, I kind of catch them in the in the nightlight, um, they look like barn owls to me, but kind of more flat face, white flat face. Yeah, they, they look very white. If you go white. online and listen to the song, the sounds are very different in those two, and that would help you maybe decide, yeah. think about what you're hearing, and then ba- listen. Barn owls <laughs> screech. They kind of are and and uh, I guess they do hear that once in a while. Yeah, yeah. but if they and they look very 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 white when they're flying at at night. A great horned owl is going to be wouldn't be. I doubt if there's anything in the literature of great horned owls nesting inside a house. There's probably some that are nesting maybe next to a house or in an old maybe sitting in the window of an abandoned place. Always remember that the great horned owl loves skunks, so yes. you probably would smell that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That smell. Yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah. In fact, every time I've hand, I handle a, a, a great horned owl, I always sniff it to see if I can smell skunk on it. <laughs> but because they, yeah, they really do. They like skunks. But uh, you pro. It sounds like barn owls. If you say they've had more than one uh, uh, nest cycle going through i think i think barn owls are supposed to nest more more around the year than any other any of the other owls that we have in the state but that's really what it sounds like you've got to me is barn owls and they're they're a nifty bird to have around you won't have any rats or mice around with them all right margo thanks for the call that is going to wrap us up for today. Steve, thanks so much for coming in. A great You're hour welcome. of uh, Creature Comforts, uh, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating more than 20 years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife, and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Michelle McAdoo. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Steve Patterson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.